Well, hello and welcome to the first of two lacrosse mayoral debates from WIZM Radio. My name is Anthony Tragoski, and I'm an assistant professor of political science at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. I am pleased to be your moderator for this debate. We have 10 candidates running for mayor, and we want to get to know where each candidate stands on the issues that most affect lacrosse. So the field has been split into two debates, with five candidates participating in each of the two debates. Tonight is the first of two debates. We will have the second debate tomorrow at 6 p.m. All 10 candidates have answered a questionnaire that is available at wizmnews.com slash mayor. I encourage everyone to check it out. The race will be narrowed down from 10 candidates to two candidates in a primary election on February 16th. Before introducing our five candidates, I am happy to introduce two panelists from WIZM News who will be asking tonight's questions. Joining me are Scott Robert Shaw and Caitlin Riley from WISM. As for the debate, our format will go as follows. Candidates will be grouped in pairs to answer each question. Those pairs will rotate after each question. The two candidates will be asked the same question and have up to one minute each answer. After that, the other three candidates will be able to offer their opinions up to 30 seconds. Lastly, the original two candidates asked the question can then provide a final word. Again, up to 30 seconds. We will then move on to a new question. All of this is to ensure that candidates have plenty of opportunities to participate during this debate, which will last around one hour. The candidates participating in tonight's debate are Chris Stolpa, Greg Celiaris, Mitch Reynolds, Jessica Olson, and Catherine Blanchard. Scott Robert Shaw will ask the first question, and the first pairing will be Chris and Greg. So Chris and Greg will get a shot at this question from Scott Robert Shaw. Scott? Thank you, and good evening. The City of La Crosse is investing about $42 million in a project to renovate the La Crosse Center that, because of the pandemic, may have been ill-timed in retrospect. This is money not available for other city projects. What can the city do to maximize its investment in the La Crosse Center, given that we may not see concerts, trade shows, and conventions returning anytime soon? Chris, go ahead. Uh, thank you. Uh, Honestly, right now, and, and you're right about the fact that we, who knows when we're going to have concerts. Uh, the big thing that we can do now that the, which is kind of what I thought the lacrosse center was doing in the first place is we're still going to have weddings, which are a decent moneymaker. And that's what we have to really look into. We're still going to have business meetings. They're not going to be as uh, strong and pronounced as they have been again, due to the COVID. And honestly, other than that, there isn't a, there isn't a whole lot that, I mean, we can't bring a whole lot into the city right now. We're still waiting to see what happens with this pandemic. And besides weddings, that's right now we kind of have to bite the bullet a little bit and see what comes from that. I, I don't, uh, I don't see any other option at the moment. Greg, over to you. Well, unfortunately, with COVID, you know, you, nobody could predict what was going to happen. Um, the renovations were approved. My biggest thing right now is like uh, the only thing I would worry about is staying within budget. We don't want to exceed uh, what the budget was set for. We don't want to exceed, you know, the the number of uh, money that we're spending on that. 
And uh, as to events, weddings, and all that other stuff, uh, hopefully with the vaccines coming up, um, hopefully we can see some progress on, you know, on getting some things ha- happening in the area, and then we can start, you know, getting some revenue back. But um, the priority would be just to stay within budget, make sure, you know, it does not exceed what, uh, what we budgeted for, and, um, and we'll stay with that. Thank you, Greg. Jessica, Catherine, or Mitch, you can jump in. Jessica. Well, thank you. Um, The investment we've made at the La Crosse Center was a very important long-term investment for the community. Um, So I don't want to get short-sighted and worry about the the near term. Um, And also, I believe what this allows us to do is look at events that otherwise would have rented a much smaller space and offer them a larger contiguous inside space where they can achieve some degree of distancing if they need. So I think we're well positioned and we need to stay, keep our eye on the ball and make sure that we uh, find those events that are looking to come back and uh, make sure that we are doing everything we can to win their business. Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, you know, I would agree with Jessica to a certain extent in relation to the long-term investment. This is the 30 to 50 year investment in the city of La Crosse. Tourism is a major industry for the city of La Crosse. We're talking about a $281 million industry for the city of La Crosse in 2019. Those tourists are coming back once we get through this, the ill effects of the pandemic, this is going to be an investment that well pays for itself. Uh, immediately, there's going to be some downtime. I would not be uh, necessarily considering emergency measures to uh, try to uh, counteract the impacts of the pandemic immediately. I think we're going to be fine long term. Like Jessica said, keep your eye on the ball. This is a great investment for the, for the uh, community of La Crosse. Catherine, any take on the La Crosse Center? Um, so slow and steady wins the race. We, you know, all business, when you spend money in there, you don't expect an overnight return. You just have to, you know, take it easy, stay on budget, just like everybody else said, and just, you know, try to get more people in to a bigger, better facility when we can finally have the crowds. Thank you, Catherine. Chris and Greg, I'll give you the final word on this. Do you agree with the assessment that this is a great long-term investment for the community? Chris and then Greg. Uh, I, I don't. I shouldn't say that I don't. I think the lacrosse center itself could be a great investment. I, unfortunately, the money that we use uh, that was spent to add on, and we did fix some of the things on the inside. But the biggest problem is, is the lacrosse center forever has had no ability to have any good production of sound, which is which is terrible. And that's why we've never really had a lot of big bands that come in there because the sound's awful. We had problems when we had the monster trucks in because the ventilation was terrible. So what we did is we added on a bunch of space so we could have more business people in, more weddings in, all of those things to bring money in. And really, we should have probably spent less and hired an audio engineer to look inside of the actual center itself and not throwing a band-aid on the outside. Thank you, Chris. Final word, Greg. I do agree that it's a long-term plan. Um, like I said, the, my biggest concern is, you know, to make sure, you know, we stay within budget. We don't spend more money than we should. And uh, when uh, tourism gets back, hopefully we'll pay off. Thank you, Greg. Next, we have a question heading toward Mitch Reynolds and Jessica Olson. First, that question will come from Caitlin Riley. Caitlin. Thank you, Anthony. Well, even before the COVID-19 pandemic, buildings in La Crosse were vacant. The recent acquisition of U-Haul to the former Kmart property did bring attention to property usage and the business climate. 
How would you, as mayor, maintain and attract businesses to the city of La Crosse and ensure that they don't look past the city to surrounding communities for growth? Mitch, you have the floor. Mitch, you're muted. You know that was going to be a problem tonight, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Kmart property or the former Kmart property is an excellent example of an opportunity wasted uh, by a developer. Uh, you know, the, the U-Haul investment in that property is, um, you know, com- uh, allowed com- an allowed commercial development. Uh, it is, I can understand its lack of popularity. I hope that the, the zoning to turn it into whatever U-Haul wants to z- uh, turn it into does not go through. Uh, but that's an excellent example of an opportunity wasted. I think that what we have to continue to do is present lacrosse as a grand opportunity for people to uh, work and live and play here. And by doing that, it becomes a, a wonderful destination for businesses of all kinds, but also people who want to live here. If people live here, the businesses will be here. Uh, that Kmart property, wonderful example of, of, a, of an, uh, an opportunity where there could have been a much more significant investment. Thank you, Mitch. Over to you, Jessica. So to my knowledge, the city actually has not received any formal application or permitting information about this site. Um, So without having those documents in front of me um, and a plan to review, it's really not appropriate for me as a council member to comment or prejudge um, any potential proposal. Um, What I can tell you is that I want to see every parcel in this city used to its highest best purpose. And I keep an open mind on how that can be accomplished, but I I just feel it's inappropriate to comment specifically about the U-Haul site at this time. Thank you, Jessica. Chris, Greg, Catherine, feel free to chime in. U-Haul land usage in La Crosse. We'll go to Greg and then Chris and Catherine. Um, I see it as having two coins on the two sides on that coin. Uh, The people who own the property, uh, the, the property stayed vacant for like two years I'm sure, you know, with uh, the pandemic going on, I'm sure they panicked and they had they had to have somebody in there. So they, you know, you all showed up, you take it. You don't just leave it wide open. On the other side, um, it's unfortunate that such a big parcel, you know, will employ maybe like five or six people only when a little coffee shop there would employ 10. So um, I know the city tried to bring stuff in there. Uh, nothing happened. Um so it's really hard to judge. Yes, we do want to see every parcel in town, you know, be maximized, but also we don't want to have vacant places. So um, maybe as a city, we have to do a better job in, you know, bringing something bigger, something better. I know there have been studies about a public market forever. You know, that, that, that area was never considered for that as far as I know. So, you know, maybe we should open it up other than just a popular downtown places or, you know, north side. Thank you, Greg. Chris. Chris, you muted. Sorry. I think we should call it what it is. That corner is a dead zone for business. It's always been a dead zone for business. What that needs to be, that needs to be some type of apartment complex. And that's, we should have found a developer and a landlord, maybe Jessica, for instance, to come in there and take over and, and build a more living space for the, for the area. It's a beautiful spot, especially with the festival next door and the, and you've got Java Vino and all the other things going on there. That's what we should have looked at instead of just letting U-Haul come in there and take a huge place that they didn't need. Thank you, Chris. Catherine. Um, I think that U-Haul's use of it is going to be a good thing. They'll clean up the lot. It's got the bays already in place for them to work on the U-Haul trucks that people rent. 
Um, it's sat empty for over three years. We need to keep somebody in there because vacant buildings deteriorate. They see it all over the town. Um, ideally, yes, yeah, something better, like a, a bigger store to shop in would have been great. But unfortunately, that's not who stepped up. U-Haul stepped up. They're willing to purchase it. I say let them purchase it and hope that they turn it into something good. Thank you. Mitch, can I get your reaction to what Catherine just said? Sorry. Yeah, I absolutely. I think that this uh, is a just a it's a, again, a wasted opportunity for any developer. Uh, I do agree to a certain extent with Chris that that was a, a prime opportunity for a retail, commercial and residential development. It would have been fantastic to have something like that there. It is unfortunate the timing probably played into that with the, uh, the pandemic and the lack of interest in development in that area. But, uh, you know, I, I absolutely wish it had been something else, but uh, it is, uh, I understand the urgency to want to capitalize on uh, someone who comes to buy for sure. And Jessica Olson, I can give you the last word on this topic. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you to Chris for flattering me about suggesting I should step in and manage it. Um, I actually have uh, no interest in building any property or purchasing anything. Um, you know, and again, I won't say anything specific about U-Haul or the site, but I would like to add that La Crosse needs to continue to attract and retain long-term residents. And part of that is ensuring that we're redeveloping um, opportunities everywhere we can find them to make our, our neighborhoods welcoming, safe, and family-friendly. And of course, uh, vacant properties don't accomplish that goal. So I do agree with Catherine on that point. Um, but I do think we need to wait for the economy to recover a little bit more. Um, now is probably not the best, most opportune time, uh, but certainly we will pursue it. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Our next question is going to go first to Catherine Blanchard and Chris Stolpa. That question comes from Scott Robert Shaw. Scott? Thank you. Uh, we have seen an increase in protests locally and nationally, focusing on racial injustice and police practices, leading some to call for a defunding of police. What should the city of La Crosse do to combat crime and keep its citizens safe, while also ensuring that people are not mistreated at the hands of police, perhaps because of the color of their skin? Catherine. Well, I think um, our lacrosse police force is amazing. They do extra training. They've already gotten rid of a lot of um, tactics that were used in the past that they have found to be not humane when they're trying to arrest somebody. They are, I don't think defunding the police is the answer because crime will only go up if we don't have a police force. I think more better training and more um, racial sensitivity training would be great. You know, it's, it's, hard for me to come from the point of how a person of color feels because I'm Caucasian and I don't have the same um, experiences that someone else would have. But I think with better training and our police force doing what they're already doing, I think defunding would be a bad idea. Thank you. Thank you. Chris? I think that it's terrible that we even have to think of the idea that we have to continue to train our officers to not be racist. Uh, the way that I look at it is if you are, if you have any, if you do anything wrong to that, that point, you're instantly fired. I mean, you're an officer, you are being paid by the city. Therefore you should be doing what's best for the city. And racism is not what's best for the city. What I think what we should do is have the police work with BIPOC because BIPOC has been doing a lot of really good things when it comes to racial injustice. They know what they're doing. They're the experts. That's who we talk to. Thank you, Chris. Over to you, Mitch. Yeah, 
I think the very the wording of defunding the police is somewhat unsophisticated. I think that we constantly are reallocating funds between departments when budget time comes around. Uh, I think that if we decided to reallocate funds that the police are using for the constant social work they're doing, uh, the police would welcome that as well as others as well. I think we need to be more precise when we're talking about the uh, concepts of funding the police, uh, but it is definitely something that needs to be evaluated and adjusted at constantly and every every time we have a budget that comes around. Thank you, Mitch. Greg or Jessica on policing? Let's go to Jessica, then Greg. So to me, the phrase defund the police are words of attack and words of attack do not build a positive future for us. Now, this past summer, we saw the youth in our community lead on the issues of diversity and racism in our community. And let me be very clear, diversity is our strength. And I want to build on that strength as our mayor. I want to harness the energy and the passion of our young people who spoke very eloquently about their experiences. Uh, they also spoke very hopefully about our potential for change. And as mayor, I will ensure that our police officers receive the training they need to be better partners in keeping our community safe. I also want to make sure that our community services and partners who promote violence prevention efforts are also supported and funded. And those are the ways that in addition to our well-trained police officers, that we will build a stronger, safer city for all. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Greg. I would agree with everyone. Defunding is not, you know, the answer. Um, I think with COVID right now, we're going to start seeing more problems eventually. There's a lot more mental health issues um, um, that they're going to appear. They're going to be more prevalent just because of COVID. Uh, we already start seeing a lot of more uh, Teenagers getting into, uh, you know, having to deal with depression, with suicides, eventually violent crime. So I'm hoping that we can work with the police and the community just to take care of some of these problems instead of just saying, you know, let's take money away and give it a counseling because that's not going to be just the answer. We, we need to have a force out there to make sure, you know, protects all of us. Thank you, Greg. Catherine and Chris, final word to you. Go ahead, Chris, then Catherine. Uh, well, I didn't realize we were talking about defunding at all. I, I agree with Mitch when it comes to the re, uh, reallocation of funds. And let's actually talk about the numbers. So we have an $11 million budget for the police, and their payroll is $8.5 million. So do the math on that. So everything else that we pay for for the police is that small percentage. I don't think we should defund them. I think that they should be audited. I think that they should go through the training that I still think is crazy that we have to train people to do that, but that's the only way we can do it. And we can, once we go through it and cut a little fat, we can then use those other funds for the things that we need to. Catherine, last word. Um, yeah, I think that just what Kristen said, you go through and see where the money can be better spent um, without losing any of the services and, um, and he's right. The, having to train people not to be racist is hard to believe that's still happening in 2021. Uh, but they've got other training techniques that they can use aside from that. But I think we just need to keep the training and, and you know, support our police officers. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine Blanchard. Next up, we have a question that will go to Greg and Mitch. First, that question comes from Caitlin Riley. Caitlin. Caitlin. 
Thank you. And this was briefly talked about in our previous two questions, but I want to dive a little deeper into it. How can we make the lacrosse community more open and appealing to diverse populations and maintain the growth in our number of city residents? Greg, the floor is yours. I think we just need to start celebrating a little bit all the different cultures that we have um, in the area. Um, Myself, I'm Greek. I would love to see a Greek festival. I'm sure there's a lot of Italians, a lot of Irish people here. We do have the Irish Fest. We have Oktoberfest. But I think we can do a much better job highlighting all the good things that we bring into the community. Um, We have a huge monk population. It would be great to have a monk festival downtown, you know, for a long weekend. Uh, My idea was to start having weekend celebrations um, of everybody, every culture, every group, every identity that we have in the city, every group, you know, that that is willing to step up and just, uh, you know, educate us about their background, educate us about their culture, educate us about, um, you know, their way of life. That way we can start accepting them more. Once you start accepting more people, then you don't fear them. Then a lot of the problems are going to start going away. We need to learn, to learn more about our neighbors. We need to learn more about, you know, our Hispanic, our Hmong population, our Greek population, our Italian, our Irish, everyone in the area. Thank you, Greg. Mitch Reynolds. There we go. You know, that's going to happen a couple times here. I I really love what Greg has said about embracing diversity and really celebrating that. And I think that's part of the the process of of attracting more diverse population to lacrosse. There's no question. I think one of the other things that we need to do is empower voices in our community to take a role in our uh, organizations, our, our government organizations, city government uh, the uh, school board, you know, it's uh, it's funny when I, I first started in uh, radio here in Lacrosse, nearly 20 years, or when I started radio in Lacrosse 20 years ago, it was it, it was remarkable that there'd be a person of color on the school board of the city council, and that's something that we're that we're embracing more and more now. I think finding ways to empower a diverse population to have a voice in our community is a way to bring in. Uh, uh, to attract a more diverse population. Uh, Jessica Olson, uh, your reaction to Greg and Mitch? Well, everyone I think has been well-spoken and I I definitely support any initiative which enhances and uh, our our diversity, both in our community, in our workforce. Um, Our young entrepreneurs definitely need help uh, and, and we need to be tuned in to what they tell us they need. I think that's been a mistake of the past, uh, that we don't listen enough. And I think in order to lead, we need to listen first. And also as mayor, I want to ensure that everyone feels like they have a welcome spot at the table when our city government makes our plans and makes our decisions that affect our community. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Chris or Catherine? Chris. Sure. Thank you. Uh, Greg, I just want to let you know that lacrosse is actually 44% German, 22% Norwegian, 13% Irish, and everything goes down from that. Just wanted to let you know. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the big thing, the number one thing is education. We have to educate our students early. And when we educate them and let them know that this is not okay, that any type of racism is not okay, and over that, let them know that diversity is the number one most important thing, whether it's diversity of mind or diversity in look. It's very important. Education is the leading block on how we fix this. Catherine Blanchard. 
I love the idea of celebrating different cultures throughout the summer, um, into the fall and the spring. Maybe not so much in the winter because I know I don't want to go out in the snow if I don't have to. Um, but yeah, and you start with education. If we get the different groups to you know that want to have a festival, get information to the school so people learn more about that. Um, you know, it's it's kind of cool to see other cultures uh, mesh together. So yeah, I would love to see more festivals. Greg, can I go back to you? What's your reaction to Mitch's comment about the need to empower different voices in our community? That would be great. I mean, we do need more diversity in, in key positions. I mean, if you look at the 10 people who are running, I mean, nine out of the 10, you know, they're just um, European descent. Um, well, 10 out of 10, sorry, <laughs> me included. But I'm the only one who's a foreigner. You know, I'm, I'm the only one who's been naturalized here and been uh, a citizen. So um, I do agree with uh, Chris at some point, you know, that education is key, but I have, uh, I have news for you. I mean, we've been educating people not to be racist for, for years and years and years. You're not going to solve racism with just education. I mean, if that was so easy, you, everybody would have done it by now. So racism is going to exist. We just got to put it down, you know, when it appears. So, Mitch, is, I, is education enough? No, I, I would agree with Greg on that. It is really, the question is, uh, you, you become a more diverse population by being a more diverse population. It sounds silly to say that, but it really is about uh, celebrating the diverse populations that are in our community and empowering their voices to take a larger part in our community, listening to what they have to say and encouraging our diverse populations feel like they have a stronger say in our community and have more input on the direction that we're going to take in the future. Thank you, Mitch Reynolds. Our next question comes from Scott Robert Shaw for Jessica Olson and Catherine Blanchard. Scott. Thank you. The La Crosse Fire Department is proposing sweeping plans for improving fire protection in the city by spending millions of dollars to renovate and build new fire stations. As mayor, would you be in favor of coordinating a regional approach, working with Onalaska, Holman, perhaps Campbell, West Salem, to establish a regional fire department or other shared services? And if so, how would you get that done? Jessica. Thank you. Uh, well, I was fortunate to serve on the La Crosse Fire Station Planning Task Force uh, a couple of years ago. It was one of my first committee assignments on the City Council. Um, so I was able to see firsthand the need that we have in this community to not only uh, reinvest in our in-city facilities, but also the potential for partnerships uh, down the road to help us uh, achieve a, a, a more efficient and more effective coverage throughout the region. Um, I'm very proud of the positive relationship that our fire chief has um, spent his short time here building with our neighboring communities, fire department leaders. And I think that is a strong uh, case to build on uh, for the next mayor uh, to be able to expand that and look for ways that we can deliver fire protection uh, in a very effective and uh, cost efficient manner. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Catherine Blanchard. Um, I guess. So I thought that was already a thing because uh, when they had the fire on the south side of town a few weeks ago, Shelby Fire Department stepped to protect and cover La Crosse where, um, when the fire trucks were involved with that fire so that there would be no missed coverage in case of an emergency in the other parts of La Crosse. 
and I did read that they were planning to work with Holman's fire department. So I think it's a great idea. My oldest brother was actually burned as a child in a house fire. And, um, you know, the more hands on deck to get a fire out to save lives, I think it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, partnership goes great because maybe a smaller town can't afford the same type of equipment, the more high-tech stuff that LaCrosse has, and utilize it, it saves someone's life. I'm all for it. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine Blanchard. Mitch Reynolds. Yeah, the excellent uh, report by uh, John Cavari from UW-Whale that was released in December that really highlighted the benefits of collaboration among regional fire and EMS services really points our way forward. He showed us that there are efficiencies and efficacies to be gained by doing just that. In speaking with Fire Chief Ken Gilliam, he's, he's ready to, to engage and to collaborate with whatever, whatever regional partners there are. And Kathy's exactly right. We do that on a regular basis. It's just not with everybody. And formalized in the way that would really reduce the cost for all those involved. But regional collaboration is already in the works, and it's definitely something to pursue. Greg, what's your reaction to that? Collaboration is great. Um, the only thing that I would disagree with some of the stuff is like we do need to update all our stations. Uh, the latest, um, as far as I know, the newest station was built in the '60s, uh, late '60s. So we do need to make sure that we are with the times. Uh, fire trucks are twice the size that they used to be. They carry a lot more equipment in there. They're not just there for fire. They're they're first emergency. There's all the stuff. Crews are different right now. We have women serving as fire firefighters. And my understanding is, especially down on Station 1, they have to share locker rooms. They have to share showers. That's not acceptable. I mean, we should have um, – and it's it's a small cost. The locker room, I think it was uh, estimated to be about $20,000, you know, just to make life a little more easy for those firefighters, for those women fire, firefighters that we have. It's the least thing we can do. They put their lives, in, you know, on the line every day. Let's make them a little more comfortable. Thank you, Greg. Chris, still uh, over to you. Regionalism is a great idea, and I am all for it. Uh, the problem that we have here in La Crosse is we are kind of doing it already. The only difference is the people that are paying for it are the people that live in La Crosse, not the people that live in Shelby, not the people that live in the town of Campbell. La Crosse takes on the burden of most of that cost, and it's something that Cabot was trying to do for a while. But they, n- none of the other places want to do that because they don't want to have to raise taxes. There's a reason why the cross taxes are higher than Shelby and higher in Campbell and higher in Alaska and higher in Holman because we have to pay for these extra costs. I love regionalism, but I only love it if we all do it together. Jessica Olson, is the cross taking on the burden here? Um, no, I don't see it as that way because our, our public safety officer's priority is the saving of lives. At the end of the day, um, that's what they get up in the morning and go to work to do. Um, now, I thought Greg brought up an excellent point, is, which is the, the obsolescence of our facilities. Uh, we're definitely past uh, due to, to make that investment to show our, our firefighters uh, that we do care about them and, and their living conditions and their working conditions. And um, so I definitely appreciate Greg bringing that point up because it's very important that the public understand the need for that investment. Catherine Blanchard, I can give you the final word here. 
yeah, I think it'd be great to have them all work together. And as Chris said, it would be nice if they shared the cost with us also. You know, nobody wants to be the one buying the rounds of drinks and everybody's drinking off of them. It'd be nice. But absolutely, we should work together. Neighbors helping neighbors. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we go to Caitlin Riley. Question for Chris Dolpa and Mitch Reynolds. Caitlin. Well, parking is an ever-popular topic for those who live or work in La Crosse. And now in the winter months, we have alternate side parking in effect. What, if any, changes would you recommend to our current parking system as a whole if voted as mayor of La Crosse? Chris. I think the best thing we can do is to put up the pay-by-phone meters uh, on each of the blocks, down, especially downtown. That's where we have a lot of the issues, but also around campus and everything else. They're amazing to use. You can look in Madison. You can look in the cities. You can People that actually come into to, to be tourists, that come in, they can stay there as long as they want, and that's what's amazing. And the, and the thing is, it also saves us from having however many parking police that we have and paying them $48,000 a year and then insuring the vehicles and buying the new vehicles. We would make a lot more money, and it would save us a lot more. Thank you, Chris. Mitch Reynolds. There's not one prescriptive approach for parking in the city of La Crosse. It's impossible to to determine that uh, we're going to have pay by phone in one in in every spot of La Crosse. It's a a constantly moving target and we need to treat it as such. Uh, It is something where we need to be able to react when citizens require us to uh, make uh, when they when they seek changes in their neighborhood or for some reason, there is some injustice that is being served through our parking enforcement. We need to react to that accordingly. And I applaud the city council for doing just that in this, uh, this previous year by making changes to alternate side parking that uh, really uh, show that they were, uh, they were being, um, that they were, they were responding to the public in a way that uh, pro- provided some positive change. We need to keep doing that, but we can't, we can't look at one single approach. We have to, adjust as we go and as the times change and as the needs of our neighborhoods change. Thank you, Mitch Reynolds. I can go to Greg. I can go to you next on parking. I love parking issues. (laughs) Parking is going to go away. Uh, Downtown is going to be a a four hour parking easily because if you come in on a Saturday to shop, have lunch and maybe watch a game, you're getting a $15, you know, extra ticket to say, thank you for coming downtown. You know, it's ridiculous. Alternate side parking, it's a money grab. You know, there's no reason why in November or early December we had to shame a bunch of people on Facebook in order to stop charging, you know, for alternate side parking. I mean, there was no snow on the ground, and I understand, you know, that we have street sweepers and all this stuff, and I get it, but I never got a ticket in the summer for street sweeping because I'm on the wrong side of the road. So the alternate side parking is going to turn into an emergency only. I know they tried it in the past, but now everybody has access on the Internet, smartphones, all this stuff. There is ways to get to people, you know, before their cars get towed. But the alternate side parking is going to go away if I'm elected mayor. Thank you, Greg. Jessica Olson, your reaction to ridiculous policies and money grabs. 
<laughs> um, well, I actually want to do a quick correction on Mitch because he had given uh, the council kudos on passing an ordinance, and I, I don't want to disappoint anybody, but we did actually refer that for 60 days because some of the staff had some concerns, and we never want to make the staff feel like they're being set up to fail. So, But we are being responsive and making changes, but uh, the need for parking capacity is one of the most diverse and dynamic issues of our city, and uh, we need to tailor the code to really to meet our business needs and and also to maximize our tax base. Uh, if we have too little parking, uh, then the businesses will fail and our neighborhood streets turn into parking lots. Uh, if we have too much, then we have oceans of asphalt that destroy the character of our neighborhoods. Um, so we need balance and foresight to make the appropriate changes. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Chris, I can come back to you on this. I mean, I, I kind of said what I said. Um, I, I understand Mitch's stance and there isn't just one answer and he's right. That was the base of what I would do. After that, I would honestly, to me, I think that every business downtown should have one free parking pass. You own a business downtown, you pay taxes, you get one free parking pass. And after that, I don't think we should force people to be spending 30 to $40 to try and find a spot on the ramp that generally is covered in snow anyway. So those are kind of where, those are my ideas. Thank you, Chris. Mitch, last word. I really appreciate Jessica, and uh, I absolutely, absolutely did misspeak on that, and I appreciate you correcting me on that. But absolutely, it's but the the uh, idea that, and and I I will maintain that it is important for the city council, especially to be uh, responsive to the needs of the public, and that goes with parking or anything else. And uh, I think in this last year, we've seen that that can have positive changes. I do believe that will that will result in positive changes to alternate side parking for those who have felt its ill effects the most. And I think we can do that with uh, parking uh, throughout the city of La Crosse. I think it's a, the, the right way to go about things. Thank you, Mitch Reynolds. I think we've lost Catherine Blanchard. So our next question will come from Scott Robert Shaw for Greg and Jessica. Scott, go ahead. Well, on to uh, just about everybody's favorite topic. That would be roads. Uh, the city of La Crosse, under the current administration, uh, increase spending on road repair, working to improve, I think, eight or nine miles of streets per year. Uh, but the city is uh, hamstrung because some roads, like the pothole-filled lacrosse street, for example, are state roads. And the city is dependent on that level of government to get the authority and the funding it needs to make repairs. What would you do as mayor to prioritize road repairs in the city? Greg, the floor is yours. I'm not sure how the relationship between state and uh, local government is. Uh, I'm not aware of, uh, you know, what my restrictions are, but I know that we can do better by just bringing, you know, private, you know, entities into the table and just say, you know, how much is it going to cost me to get this road done? You know, and if they can come in within budget and within the time that we set, perfect. Let's do another, you know, or we'll open it up for bids again for, with other companies as well. We cannot depend always on federal and state to take care of like our local problems. I understand the money comes from there, but we can find other solutions to fix stuff. There's no reason why we should have a street that it's for six years, I think it's full of potholes and not being able to fix it, especially, you know, during the pandemic that the school was UWL was gone. All the students was gone, less traffic in there. That would have been an opportunity maybe to be able to get some of that road done. Thank you, Greg. Jessica Olson. 
Thank you. Um, you know, our engineering department and water utility department have an excellent team of engineers that are very dedicated uh, and talented civil servants, and uh, they're the ones responsible for taking care of the infrastructure that we all depend upon for a healthy, vibrant, functioning city. Um, and the, the system we use to track the road conditions is a numeric uh, system that they assign a number uh, that describes the condition of each road. And uh, it's our engineer's job to go out into the field and verify the condition matches the number in our records. Uh, however, sometimes the roads will degrade faster than their engineering calculations uh, permit. So we do have to rely on our citizens to inform us when that happens and we need to move certain projects up. Now at the city, we've had a history of piggybacking certain um, road projects with larger infrastructure utility projects, and that's rendered uh, significant savings over the years. So I would pursue that. Um, certainly reaching out to the anchor institutions to uh, look into possible partnerships. And of course, um, we always need to have very strong advocacy with the state and the DOT um, and, and work with them to try to get our fair share as in as timely manner as possible so that we can take care of the state highways that are bisecting through our communities. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Mitch Reynolds. Yeah, I, you know, the lacrosse street has been certainly, as Greg said, it's been years that it has been a, um, a washboard, if you will, and something that has rattled the teeth of anyone who's driven over it. Funding for the repairs <clears throat> of lacrosse street uh, via the state are coming through. And that work, uh, engineering work anyway, begins uh, this year, as a matter of fact. Um, and so that's going to be something that we'll be looking forward to. I think that had the city acted uh, to fund that uh, separately from state government, it would have taken away from the repairs it could do in other places of the city. I'm not in favor of that. This is going to be a constant work in progress. We're never going to make everyone happy by repairs. It's going to be a, a situation of constant maintenance that we have to do and we have to prioritize just in the way that Jessica was explaining that the city does at this point. We just need to be very aggressive at making sure that we're we're addressing the very worst roads that we have in our city. Thank you, Mitch Reynolds. Chris Stolpa, your take on the roads. Well, the biggest thing I think that we're missing is the fact that we use asphalt all the time. Asphalt has about a five-year shelf, or I should say shelf life, road life. It is 10% cheaper than using uh, concrete, but concrete can last up to 30 years. So the big thing is we're pinching pennies because we don't want to pay the bigger bill now when we could spend a little bit more and have a lot less work later. That also comes from people having their hands in different pockets, construction companies, because we want to keep people working. I get that. But concrete, not asphalt. The big problem is what's actually the issue is the quality of the product that we're using. Thank you, Chris. Catherine Blanchard, your approach toward maintaining the roads. Catherine, you're muted right now. There you go. Okay. Um, so my dad worked for the street department for 33 years, retiring from them in 1999. And, um, and he said that the concrete is the best option. It is more expensive, but it lasts longer. He said what they're doing now with the asphalt, it looks great. It's faster to put down, but it's not as good. And, I mean, he used to pave the road, so he knows where it would work. And I have to take his advice on that, and I agree. We need to go to a longer-term solution. I live on George Street. They've replaced the street twice since we've lived here. And um, it's only a matter of time until that asphalt starts flying into my front yard again. So thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Greg and Jessica, I can give you the last word on this. Greg and then Jessica. 
Um, I would like to bring something up, you know, that Jessica said about the engineering department. Um, yes, they're wonderful people, very smart people and everything, but they need a little sensitivity training. They, this this summer, in the middle of the pandemic, they closed Java Vino the, on the south side. You know, three out of the four entrances, you know, they closed them for over a month. How much notice did they give that business? One week, not even a week. It was like four days, I think, before they even went there and said, you know what, we're going to close down everything and we're going to shut down the water for two days too. So we have to make sure, you know, that, you know, when when businesses are involved, when households are involved, that we, the city takes a little bit more of a passionate, you know, compassionate role. And we're not just, you know, going to go in there and say, you know what, no, we're just going to shut down everything. You don't get a notice. We don't give you an alternate plan. This is it. And what do they do? They fix only half part of the, of the street. The half, the half the street is paved and the other half is not. So it needs to go back and be repaired again. Thank you, Greg. Jessica. So I, I do recall that in the news about Java Vino um, experiencing a cutoff of traffic to their business. And um, I have to say, I completely agree that we need to embrace compassion and empathy in everything that we do at the city. And no department is an exception to that. Um, I guess on, on the on the broader topic of, of what type of material that we use to repair the streets, um, I definitely agree concrete is the best option. There's several tiers. And, and Catherine, of course, knows probably much better than I do. I don't, don't want to uh, step on toes. Uh, but each of those levels also comes with a different cost. So if we were to go to concrete or to a higher level, then we would be able to do fewer roads in, in a given year. Um, so it is a balance. And again, I, I trust the engineering staff because they're aware of the expected use, the expected lifespan, and our budget constraints in order to recommend to the council the best treatment for each situation. Um, you can also do a chip, chip sealant on, on um, some of the side roads that are used very little, and that helps extend um, the useful life of a road for uh, you know an extra few years before we have to go in and, and completely dig it out and and redo it. So I think it's always a matter of balance and prudence and how we how we use our tax dollars and rely on the expertise of our engineers. Thank you so much, Jessica Olson. Our next question goes to Catherine Blanchard and Chris Dolpa. For that, let's go to Caitlin Riley. Well, currently the city has environmental goals such as utilizing 100% renewable energy by 2050 and achieving carbon neutrality. Should these ideals continue to be priorities for the city? And what, if any, changes would you make to the environmental plan? Catherine. Absolutely. I think that um, we should continue on the same path. Um, I think like Northside Elementary, when it was built a few years back, they did a, a system where there's pipes for the water for cooling and heating the building that are buried down in the ground, and it recycles that water through, and it was a very costly to do it, but they're geared to be making breaking even on the cost of that and starting to actually save the school district money um, within the next year or two. And I think when new city buildings are being built, if they can utilize the same type of construction, that would be a great environmental savings and financial savings in the long run. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine Blanchard. Chris Stolpa, over to you. So there's a product that every two and a half acres actually um, sequesters 10 to 22, 10, 22 tons of carbon. It's actually shown that it has uh, 60% less in heating and cooling. Uh, it, it's very, very cost-effective. And it actually even re, uh, regenerates the soil. It's called hemp. And I think that we really need to look in, in the hemp and also look into what we call hempcrete. We had a, a, 
a big expansion this year with construction. If we were to use that, hemp's the only thing that actually has a negative carbon footprint. That's what I would work with. Thank you, Chris Stolpa. Mitch Reynolds. And look, I mean, the truth is, is that we have to think about the future. We have to think about the future of not only our community, but globally as well. And we have to do everything in our power to reach a sustainable level of uh, energy usage and uh, energy utilization. And we need to pursue every path that we can to make sure that we're not only doing that in relation to maintaining efficiency in government, but also for setting an example for the rest of our community to follow. It is, um, it is uh, one of the most pressing issues of our time, if not the most pressing issue of our time. And anything that we can do to maintain a path towards sustainability is what we should be doing. And I would certainly lead in that regard as the mayor of La Crosse. Thank you, Mitch Reynolds. Jessica Olson, your reaction to what you've heard so far. Well, I would tend to agree. Climate change is in many ways the defining issue of our generation, and our future does hang in the balance. And as mayor, I will support the city in reaching our carbon neutrality goal by 2030. In fact, I was very proud to be one of the council members who voted in support of that resolution. And I will also continue to upgrade our fleet of MTU vehicles to hybrid and, and clean uh, clean diesel, and also finish the infrastructure investment that we need to support converting our vehicles uh, to electric uh, for every possible vehicle that it's appropriate to do that. Um, and of course, we want to look at advancing our lead principles uh, within building standards and codes so that we ensure that future developments in our city adhere to those best practices of environmental stewardship. Uh, but many of the technologies that we'll need to meet our goal have perhaps yet to be developed uh, and we have to be constantly on the lookout for innovation and opportunities in order to to strive to meet our goal. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Greg, I can go to you next. Yeah, I agree with most of the stuff. Um, we do need fresh air, we need clean water. What happened to uh, French Island should never be happening, you know, uh, in today's uh, world uh, with uh, the pollution of the water that they had up there. Um, my only problem will be like, you know, for the next two, three years, um, I don't see me spending any city money on that. That's something, you know, any environmental issue, I would probably wait for vet, federal or state money. There's a lot of other issues that they're, unfortunately, they take precedent right now that we need to take care of right away. And um, um, our city money probably will go to those instead of like, um, you know, environmental uh, issues. I would probably wait, you know, to uh, go emission free. Um, wait for federal money or state money coming down. Thank you, Greg. Uh, Catherine and Chris, do you agree that we need to wait for federal and state money? I can go to Catherine first. Um, yeah, I think I would hold off and wait until we can get some state money, state grants, some funding, um, not push it all on the backs of the citizens of La Crosse. Thank you. Thank you. Chris, last word. No, uh, like I talked about, I'm talking about the hemp situation, and I know it's, it's not up Jessica's alley because she's against cannabis reform, but what I'm saying is that this doesn't cost us anything. No matter what, when we build, we have to insulate buildings. So instead of using the R19 or the R32 or whatever it is, we use a product that we can grow. It grows anywhere. It grows 12 feet in, in three months. So it can go anywhere. We can do it ourselves. We can insulate it. It's good for the soil. It's good for everybody. And it's cheap and it'll last forever. And it's, like I said, a negative carbon footprint, which is what we're asking for. Jessica Olson, I can give you 30 seconds, then I got to move on. 
Yeah, um, thank you. Um, I was a little bit surprised uh, that uh, Christopa thinks I am against uh, cannabis reform. Um, I'm very much in support of legalizing both recreational and medical marijuana in the state of Wisconsin. Um, so I, I don't know where he heard that, but I thank you for the opportunity to correct the record. And thank you, Jessica Olson. Next, we go to a question from Scott Robert Shaw, a question directed toward Mitch Reynolds and Catherine Blanchard. Scott, take it away. Thank you. Despite the diligent efforts of a number of groups, including the city of La Crosse, the problem of homelessness has been made worse by the pandemic. As mayor, what would you do to address the problem of homelessness and how specifically would you do that? Mitch Reynolds. So the die has already been set. The model has been put in place. The La Crosse Collaborative to End Homelessness did this uh, several years ago, gave us a, a path to move forward with. It requires a lot of collaboration and the utilization of resources of not only city government, but county government and the cooperation of regional governments around us, as well as civic groups, organizations, schools, anybody that we can get up to set up, set, set, uh, step up to the plate, including our, our wonderful medical centers in this area. The idea that we need to uh, address homelessness, but we need to do it in a way that, that identifies the key aspect for moving people from living a life that's unsheltered to a life where they can uh, live independently and fully, and that is through housing first. We have to uh, we have to get people into housing first. And again, this is not something where I'm we're providing an, a, an apartment for everyone or a house for everyone. It provides housing for the people, so that I mean, when you think about what you need to accomplish in your life, you need to be able to feed yourself. You need to be able to, to work and to care for your the elders and to care for your children. You need to have a place to, 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 to live before you can do any of those things. And I don't mean some barracks on the north side where you're warehousing people and it's in, you know, the city's in charge of that. I mean, real housing for real people and real citizens of our community. We have to collaborate to create housing first. Thank you, Mitch. Catherine. Well, um, part of the problem with helping the homeless is not everybody who is homeless wants to be put up in shelter. Some people are actually choosing to be homeless, whether it's they don't know they want housing because of mental illness or they just don't want to conform and follow society's rules. So I think what we need to do is find a way to assess and help people who want the housing get the housing and the people who don't want housing a safe shelter shelter on the streets so that they have that. I also think we need to find a way to address um, addiction and mental illness with the housing population, or the, sorry, the homeless population. Um, a lot of them use it because they're, they're bored, they have nothing to do with their time, they're, they're depressed, and if we can solve the depression issues, that would also help um, solve a lot of their addiction issues and get them in the right frame of mind. My older brother, a different one, is homeless, and I help him out. And one of the challenges he has is he has nowhere to go take a shower and get ready for a job interview. Um, he can The warming center, I don't believe, has showers. He's showered at my house before an interview. But if they could have something set up so that the people who are in our homeless population have a place where they can get cleaned up and they can go to job interviews and not feel you know, less than human, that would be a great start. It's not going to end it, but it will end some problems. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, Jessica Olson, your take on housing first, and are people choosing to be homeless? Well, 
an interesting thing from just today, the state's continuum of care, which administers uh, a lot of the state's homeless resources and works with uh, CAP programs, which is community action programs. Uh, locally, we here we have Cooley CAP. Uh, they came out with some interesting snapshot data considering where we're at here in the region with our, our needs for housing. And uh, they determined that we currently need 161 dwelling units to meet the needs of our current homeless population, 77 of which are considered uh, a rapid rehousing with intensive case management services necessary to meet the needs of the people in our community. And it's it's a much more complex situation than an ordinary private housing with an um, ordinary landlord. Uh, landlords are not social workers. And so um, we certainly cannot expect success by taking somebody who needs uh, more sophisticated needs and services and not uh, place them in a situation where they can uh, they can benefit from those services. So um, as mayor, I'm on top of this issue. I've been attending meetings and listening to the experts and the people working on the ground. And I'm ready to make some tangible progress on day one when I get elected. Thank you, Jessica Olson. Greg, I can go to you next. Unfortunately, the ugly truth is that you can't solve homelessness. Um, it's just one of those things that many people have tried, many people smarter than us and more powerful than us have tried, and they keep on failing. There's, uh, we can try to contain it. There's, uh, there's cer certain solutions that I've been talking to a couple of small groups about it. There's a small nonprofit group that wants to build like a tiny village, uh, about 10, 15 houses that will host uh, people that not having any addictions. They don't have any problems with alcohol or drugs. They just need a place to stay, a place to shower, a place that they can feel safe. That way they can go to work. Uh, these are people who have jobs that just can't afford to have an apartment. So you house them there for six months to a year. You give them the, you know, the tools that they need in order to put some money on the side and just have, you know, so they can stand on their feet. Now, people with addictions, unfortunately, right now, all the services are around downtown, which is the horrible place to have them. Because if you're going to find alcohol and drugs, you're going to go downtown. You're not... We need to remove them from the from this area, the immediate area, and just find a place that they're safe, somewhere that all the services, you know, that they're provided to them, you know, they're away from the temptation to fall back again on the same on the same path. Thank you, Greg. Chris, you're next. Uh, so I've volunteered at the warming shelter and the Salvation Army many times. Uh, the warming shelter does have showers, they have a kitchen, and so they have 66 beds. Uh, the Salvation Army does not let you in. If you are intoxicated whatsoever, the warming shelter does. The, the biggest problem that we have is the mental health and is the addiction. And we need to separate it so one place is set up for addictions, one place is set up for mental issues, and one place is set up for people that are just having a bad time. And then we can focus our resources where they need to be focused. That's what I think our best bet is. Thank you, Chris Stolpa. Mitch, I want to come back to you, your reaction to some of the things you've heard. Yeah, and unfortunately, the issues that people that are unsheltered face are multi-layered and complex, and we can't just separate them out into individual groupings uh, like um, uh, Chris has suggested. It's just not as simple as that. It's a, these are very complex problems. I also agree with Greg that it is not something that we can necessarily completely solve, but we need to. This is, this is an ongoing maintenance issue for the city of La Crosse, for the nation, for the globe, really, is identifying ways that we can house our most vulnerable. It's an ongoing and constant uh, need for us to work at it. We will always have to put resources into it, and I vow to do that. 
Thank you, Mitch Reynolds. Catherine Blanchard, I can give you the final word here. Um, I, I welcome any suggestions on how to make it easier to end the homelessness. I would love to see my brother have a place to live and be safe and have a job um, and until we can get everything working in the right way with a coalition to end homelessness. Um, it's, it's a hard struggle, and I, I'm not the only family member who has a loved one who struggles with homelessness, and I'd like to see that fixed. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine Blanchard. And that is our time for this debate. Thank you so much to the candidates and to Caitlin Riley and Scott Robert Shaw for being part of this debate. Most of all, thank you to our listeners and viewers for joining us. Remember that the lacrosse mayoral race will be narrowed down to two candidates in a primary election on February 16th. Tomorrow's debate will begin at 6 p.m. and can be heard on WIZM, 92.3 FM, 14.10 AM, or you can watch on WIZMnews.com. Tomorrow's candidates will be Martin Gall, Zebulon Kemp, Joe Conrad, Vicki Markison, and Sam Schneider. For more information on the candidates for mayor of La Crosse, I encourage you to visit WIZMnews.com slash mayor. For now, I'm Anthony Chagoski from the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. Thank you again for joining us and good night.